0: Amazing Grace Kona Welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're going to be in Psalm 43 and 44. Let me just read it to you. Psalm 43 reads Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against the ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are a God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light, your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me into your holy hill and into your dwelling place. Then I will go to the altar of God, to the God of my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre, I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. And I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and of my God. If you'll remember the very last verse of Psalm 42, if you just take a look at it, how does it read in your Bible? It says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. It's the exact same words that end the next psalm. Both psalms end with this very same chorus. In fact, remember the psalms were songs. If you look through Psalm 42, you'll notice that verse 5 of Psalm 42 is also the same chorus. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. And then this chorus, our translators translate, for the help of His presence, or the help of my countenance. Now, when their countenance is doing good, they're bright, they're light. It's not a physical thing we put our finger on, it's more like the way that their whole spirit is, the way their presence is. You ever been around someone who has that real bright countenance, they come into the room, they just light up the room, and they have that joyfulness about them. Well, the psalmist says that God is the help of my countenance. He lifts my countenance up. When we're not doing what's right, our countenance goes down. You might not even catch it yourself, but your friends can see it. You're a little bit cranky and you're struggling and you're and you're not your happy self. And and you ask, What's the matter? Oh, nothing's the matter. Leave me alone. And here the psalmist says, I thank God. When my soul is in despair, he says, Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? He says, Hope in God. This is the source of our Lifting of our countenance is our hope in God. He says, for I shall again praise him. He is the help of my countenance. He's the one that lifts us. When we do what's right, it just comes out. People can see it. When you're doing right, people look at you and they're like, wow, look at that. They just have that glow. Now, in the previous Psalm, Psalm 42, it says that the reason the psalmist, he was disturbed is because he said his enemies kept saying to him, where is your God? The enemies were provoking him. Well, if God's real, where is he? You ever had people do that to you? Poke fun at your faith? It can bring down your faith. It can make you feel disturbed inside. Psalm 43, 42, 44, 45, they're all prayers about God deliver us from the enemies, from the things that drag us down, from the things we struggle with. All these group of Psalms all talk about how God is our deliverer. He's the one that gets us out of trouble. Now look at Psalm 44 with me. It says here, Oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us the work that you did in their days, in the days of old. We've heard all the good things you did, Lord. You with your hand, verse 2 says, your own hand drove out the nations. You then planted them. You afflicted the peoples and then you spread them abroad. For by their own sword, they did not possess the land. By their own arm, they did not save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, for you favored them. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you, we will push back our adversaries. Through your name, we will trample down those who rise up against us. I will not trust in my bow, nor will I trust in the sword to save me. But you have saved us from our adversaries. You have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted all day long, and we give thanks to your name forever. Selah. That's the Hebrew expression to pause and to reflect. How many times has God saved us? I mean, think about how many times has he saved our bacon just on the freeway or when we're driving. If you've been in big cities, you know it's a miracle we're all around. Because the way that sometimes that crazy traffic goes, I think, I know the Lord had to put some angels to protect us, to get us through the course of this life we've gone through. But here, the, the psalmist is referring to the stories of old, how God delivered Israel. Remember how he brought them out of Egypt? It wasn't by their strength that they fought their way out against their Egyptian army. How did they get out? Do you remember? Moses, he said, guys, get your bags packed. Everybody go in the house and slay a lamb and take the blood and in, dip in it with a hyssop branch and put it over the doorpost and the lintel of your house. This night, the Lord is going to deliver us. He's going to make Pharaoh, the straw that breaks Pharaoh's back, he's going to make Pharaoh say, all right, you can go, leave. And not only will they leave, do you remember when the Israelites left, the Bible tells us that the Egyptians said, "Here." Your God is a great God. Here, take some treasure. Take our stuff. Go. Just be gone from us. Just don't cause us any more trouble. Because that night was the night when the angel of death came through, remember? And he took every firstborn in the land. Of Eden, everyone who wasn't inside the house eating the lamb with the blood. Why did the blood of the lamb have to be over the doorway? Because what would happen when the angel of death came to that house? If that blood of the lamb was on the doorpost in lintel, it says the angel would pass over. That's where we get the name Passover in the Jewish holiday. The angel of death passed over. No death visited that house. But if they didn't have that, that blood of the lamb to cover them, death went and killed the firstborn. Everyone. And Pharaoh, the next morning, he got up, he went, that's it. Go. Get out. The Israelites didn't go fight for their freedom. God fought for their freedom. God had them go. And you remember when they got to the Red Sea and they're standing there and they here comes Pharaoh changes his mind. You know, Pharaoh he was back and forth a lot. He changes his mind and he sends his army after them and Lord tells Moses, "Just take your staff and touch the water, right?" What happened to the water? It parted. And it says they passed through on dry ground. When I watched that movie as a kid, did you guys ever see the one with Charlton Heston and Ben-Hur and and how they parted the the Ten Commandments and how the water parted and was up real high. I was thinking, it's a trap. It's a trap. Don't You know, because even as a little boy, I knew the story that the Israelites got through all the way to the other side safely. But then the army chases in after. And then what happens? The Lord swallows them up, the, the Egyptian army, right there. The waters come back and close up over them. When I heard that, I was like, who did the fighting? Did the Israelites own bow? Did their own sword save them? That's what they're saying right here. It wasn't our bow. It wasn't our sword. It wasn't us that fought, Lord. It was you who fought for us. We've heard the stories. We know you're the God who fought for us. Now, is that good for our faith to hear about how God can fight the battles? We sing a song, the battle belongs to the Lord. The psalmist says, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not ours to fight, it's the Lord's. But sometimes, I don't know, the enemy likes to get us kind of sidetracked. He likes to get us fighting battles we don't even need to fight. And he likes to get us being the ones that fight. Instead of remembering what this psalm teaches, God fights for us. God looks after us. God protects us. This is what we need to remember. Now, if we get our eyes focused on us fighting for ourselves, what will happen to our countenance? What will happen to how we are doing in our faith? I submit to you, we can get into a Bad world. Of, in fact, this rest of the psalm bears it out. Let me show you this. Verse 9 says, Yet he says, You have rejected us and, and brought us to dishonor, and do not go out with our armies. You cause us to turn back from our adversary, and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You have given us as sheep to be eaten, and have scattered us amongst the nations. You sell your people cheaply, and have not profited by their sale. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and a derision to those around us. You make us a byword amongst the nations, a laughingstock amongst the people. Now, if you're not familiar with Jewish history, you might not notice, but here at verse 9, after that pause, there's a shift in this psalm where the psalmist says, Yet you, Lord, made us a laughingstock. You didn't turn back your hand. But if you know the book of Jeremiah, that weeping prophet that prophesied for 40 years to Israel, repent, turn away from your sin, because if you don't, God's going to let you suffer judgment. And he told them all the things that would happen. The enemies, their enemies would now win the battles what God used to win for them. The tables would turn. To a Jew reading this, they already know this. This is their history. It's not new news to them. They're, They're like, yep, yep, God fought for us a lot, man, man. When he took us out of bondage in Egypt, Moses and, and, you know, Joshua in the promised land. It was great. Oh, they, you know, God really fought. But God told them when you get in the land and you get comfortable and you're sitting under the tree that eating the fruit that you didn't plant the tree and you're living in the house that you didn't build and your life is at ease. He warned them. He said, don't forget the Lord. We never forget the Lord when things are bad. When things are bad, we're all prayer. Boy, we don't, I don't even have to teach to pray when things are bad. People do it automatically. Oh, God, help me. It's terrible. But when things are good, people forget to pray. And they began to forget the Lord. And the Lord sent prophets to them over and over to warn them, tell them, come back to the Lord. Listen to, seek the Lord. And if you don't seek the Lord, you're going to be sold off. You're going to be taken away. You're going to be taken captive. If you study Israel's history, did they get taken away after that, after they had just had this wonderful, marvelous... I mean, I'm condensing a lot of history down into kind of Reader's Digest version, but the big picture is, yes, first God delivered them with a mighty hand and later they forgot about Him. When they let God fight the battle and they sought the Lord, the Lord did great things. When they forgot the Lord... Let me, let me finish this. I didn't finish reading. Verse, verse 14 says, You made us a byword amongst the nations, a laughingstock amongst the peoples. And all day long, he says, my dishonor is before me. My humiliation has overwhelmed me. And because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us. He says, but we have not forgotten you, and we have not dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back. It's funny to me, the psalmist saying, we didn't forget you. We didn't turn back. And the prophet was saying, don't forget the Lord. Quit turning back. Turn back to following it. And yet, he says, our heart has not turned back. Our steps have not deviated from your way. Yet you have crushed us in the place of the jackals. You've covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to, to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Oh, now the truth's coming out. God does know the secrets of the heart. But it says, but for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, this is one of the verses that I'm familiar with from the New Testament. In fact, I learned this verse first in the New Testament. Didn't know that it was a quote from the Old Testament. I I was studying in in the New Testament in the book of Romans. Chapter 8, it says, I love this, verse 35 says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword, will any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? This is where I learned this verse in the psalm. He says, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are to be considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I mean, they slaughtered our Lord. Don't think we're better than him. He says, but in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I am convinced. Now, I'm sure many of you know verse 38. Romans 8, 38 says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Can trials and tribulations separate me from God? No. Not from His love. The Bible declares there is nothing. No power, no height, no depth. There's nowhere you can run to get away from God's love. His love is well, it's eternal, right? Back to Psalm 44. He says, arouse yourself why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake and do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up and be our help and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness or your mercy. This prayer reminds me of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, Daniel said, "O oh, Lord, they had been carried away into captivity. They were in Babylon. And Daniel was praying. And the Bible says Daniel was a an upright young man. And he said, God, don't deal with us according to what we deserve. Because they were already getting punished for what they had done wrong. They weren't obeying God. And God sent them the prophets over and over and said, straighten up or you're going into captivity. They, did they listen? No. They get carried away and there he is in captivity. And he says, God, don't deal with me according to what we deserve deal with me according to your great loving kindness. According to your great mercy, God, deal with me according to that. That's what this psalm ends with. Oh Lord, rise up to be our help and redeem us for your sake, the sake of your loving kindness, your mercy, God, just, not because not we deserve it, but because you are so merciful. Now, is that a good way to pray? God, deal with me according to your great compassion, your great mercy, not according to how great I am, because we might be blowing it. It makes me go, oh, this is the right approach. I'll seek the Lord and ask him to be my help because he's great. Because he's the one that is great. And the Bible says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In Hebrew, Gadol Adonai, It's he is great. Gadol is great. And I don't know. It's the Lord God. The Great is he. He's greatly to be praised. He's worth it. I mean, he's worthy. But I look at this psalm and I think, man, they were going around. They were down. In fact, I didn't mention this, but in the Psalm 43 and 42, there's another line that is repeated. Not just the line that says, why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why are you become troubled or disturbed within me, hope in God. And hope also, praise him, he says, the help of my countenance, my God. But there's also this verse that is repeated in both of the Psalms. Why do I go mourning? He says, because of the oppression of my enemy. This is the last part of verse 9 of Psalm 42. And then the same line is repeated again in Psalm 43, verse 2. Why do I go mourning? Well, because of the oppression of my enemy. Have you ever felt like you're in mourning, like things are bad, you just feel like a season of loss, like you're being pushed down? Sometimes life deals you that card and it doesn't feel good. Why are you in mourning? Why are you so down? Well, because there's an enemy that tries to oppress us. Now, the Bible teaches us in the New Testament, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against people. We wrestle against principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness, In high places, there's actually a devil. I know people don't want me to tell them this, but it's true. He's out there. He's got his own little fallen angels following him. They're called demons. And they try to wreck your day. Sometimes people are like feeling that oppression. They feel like the devil's kind of giving them a bad day. The Bible says he nips at our heel. Now it says Jesus, though he will nip at his heel, Jesus is going to stomp on the devil's head. So just to put it in perspective, though he's annoying, it's like a little dog, a little chihuahua, you know, biting at your heel. That's like the devil trying to give us a bad day. And by the way, if you've ever had a little chihuahua chase you around and drive you crazy, I mean, they might be small, but can they be annoying? That's like the devil. He likes to torment us. And when he does, it gets our full attention. Just that little nipping at our heel can get us so distracted. We get all of our attention Shifts from God to where? Right down to our heel. We're like, ouch, get away. And then he's he starts throwing these little lines in as he's nipping at us. It can get us disturbed. That's why this song has it repeated over and over. Why are you so disturbed? Why are you in despair? Oh, my soul, why are you in trouble? Here's the answer. Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He is the help of my countenance. When you put your hope back in God, he lifts your countenance back up. Israel was a living example. You know, the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, everything that happened to them, they were our our model, example for us. So if you see them when God said, don't turn away from me, keep following me, it'll go well with you. And when they followed the Lord, you read the book's, of the Bible, when they followed the Lord, what happened? They got blessings. But when they turned their eyes away, and the Lord would send the messengers, prophets, don't turn your eyes away from the Lord. Turn back to the Lord. Come on. you. And did they listen? No. Did it cost them? Yep. And they heard the stories. They even knew the stories. And the Bible teaches us the same thing. If we don't want to listen to the Lord, every son, it says, whom the Lord loves... He disciplines. But Israel as a nation, they quit listening to the Lord. They got scattered. They got punished. Everything God promised would happen. And But I like the Lord. He's so patient. He told them over and over faithfully, over and over 40 years before. This is how merciful he is. Every day his mercy was new. And they still didn't listen. After 40 years of not listening, he says, all right, that's enough. His whole generation has not hearkened. I'm going to judge him. And so he judges them. Now the neat thing about his mercy is later he will take them and though they scatters them all over the world, he says, I will show you a sign that I am God. I will one day call them all back. And May 17, 1948, the UN ratified Israel as a nation. They weren't a nation for 2,000 years almost. And all of a sudden, boom, they're back. That's a sign God says, I'm going to show you I'm God. I'll bring them back. And the generation that sees that sign, that fig tree, comes spring forth. That's a generation that won't come to pass till the coming of the Son of Man. I say we should be very excited. We live in the time when God's fulfilling things that, like, that's a big deal. All this is to help us to hope in Him. He's a very big God. Now when these things happen, what should we do when we see signs like this happen? Look up, it says. Our redemption draws nigh. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.